Our Future Now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. And what I've been telling folks is this, we can always catch up on ABCs, but we can never bring someone back from the dead, period. So why take the risk? Hey everyone, I'm Jonah Gottlieb and I'm the co-founder and executive director of the National Children's Campaign. And I'm Natalie Meebane, and I'm the co-founder and vice president of public policy and government relations for the National Children's Campaign. Welcome to Our Future Now. On this episode, we'll be breaking down what schools are going through as they weigh reopening, how the government's actions are helping and harming students, and what elected officials, community members, and you should be doing on behalf of America's students. We have a returning guest today, Devin Del Palacio, and a new guest, Dr. Dion Mills. Devin is a school board member at the Tolleson Union High School District in Arizona and the chair of the National Black Council of the National School Board Association. So welcome, Devin. Welcome back. Hey, everybody. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be back. Uh, looking forward to today's discussion. Dr. Mills is a board-certified OBGYN hospitalist, originally from Trinidad and Tobago, and currently practicing in Phoenix, Arizona. So welcome so much, Dr. Mills, to Our Future Now. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really great to meet you guys. So, Doctor, I'm just going to just ask straight up, do you feel it's safe to open schools right now? Not where I live. That's a nationwide question, and it is a state-specific answer. Each state is on the spectrum on reaching criteria for opening. Um, in Arizona, we are definitely not appropriate for reopening. So Dr. Mills, why do you say that you don't meet the criteria? What, what's the state looking like right now that makes you say that it's not safe? So the CDC and the World Health Organization um, has made it very clear that each state needs to meet certain criteria in order to even be considered to reopen schools. And we need to have low community spread. To, to figure out if we have community spread that's too high or too low, we look first at um, our ability to test enough people. So right now we have a positivity rate of over 24, 23 to 24% in Arizona. And the guidelines are that we should have a positivity rate of less than 5%. And that indicates that we're not testing enough people. We're only testing people that look really sick. So we're also missing a lot of people that are not that sick, but are walking around infected. So we don't have a good idea of what our viral load is in the state. Uh, and there's other criteria. We need to be able to have hospitals not operating in surge capacity and crisis mode. We need to actually have appropriate resources so that if we do have cases, we can, we can safely address them and, and uh, treat the patients without causing a strain on the healthcare system. So, you know, you mentioned uh, that the positive rate, you said that right now the tests that come back in Arizona are typically 23 to 25% of those cases that are getting tested are coming back positive, which is a lot, you know, and that's a quarter of the people actually getting tested. But you said that the criteria says that we need it to be 3% in order to, is that to open schools or is that considered it, just a time that you're, it's much safer? Like what, what it is that needs to be, It needs to be less than 5%. And that is actually the criteria for reopening anything. So restaurants, businesses, gyms, certain stores, non-essential places, 
we were supposed to have a positivity rate of less than 5% to even open those. So right now um. our state has a list of places that are closed um, and they did extend that closure yesterday, but ironically, it doesn't make sense. They're extending the closure because of the same criteria that they're ignoring and saying that we have to reopen schools under. So the two don't go together. I see. So you're saying that overall, it's supposed to be less than 5% to open up anything that is not essential. I didn't, right. you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually did not know what essentially the the criteria was that told people that this is a, a place where you can actually have a few more people gathered, obviously still with masks, obviously still socially distanced, but that's interesting that we are not even close in Arizona. And the CDC put out a whole gating process of what you do to get to the first step. And then when you've met the first step, what, what places can open under that first wave? Arizona did not follow any of those instructions. They decided to go from reopening when they did not meet criteria in the first place, and then not even opening the stage one you know, businesses. They just decided to open up everything. And then they didn't mandate masks from the beginning either. So here we are. I didn't really think about this before. You open up something that is, as you mentioned, you called it a mass spreading event. Then if you have that mass spreading event and it gets home to the parents and everyone else, you have the hospitals, which are already overwhelmed, be even more overwhelmed than they are today. And so when you think about it, it causes a complete collapse, it seems like, of the entire healthcare system. And then you have all these extra people sick unnecessarily that then die unnecessarily because they couldn't get the care because the hospital system has been so overwhelmed. I mean, that is, that sounds, when I put it in that circle, it, it sounds like a nightmare um, of the scenario that we are setting ourselves up voluntarily to be in. And it's because it's not a circle. It's a death spiral. You know, you're right. You're right, Jonah. It's a death spiral. It's a death loop in the fact that it's just a continuous cycle that once you start, it's not going to stop. I mean, it's and it's the idea that people are proposing doing this across the country simultaneously, right? As schools typically open end of August, early September in that range, and to actually purposely put ourselves in that situation across the country it just seems unimaginable. But we put ourselves in this situation in the first place. All of this was preventable. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of cases and deaths that did not have to happen. We had no control over a pandemic occurring. We had control over the fact that we don't believe in science in this country. We elected inept and impotent leaders and we didn't do what needed to be done. So the first couple months, okay, we're learning, we're figuring it out. After that, this was all on us. And if the schools wanted to be able to open, if parents and legislatures and governors wanted schools to be open, we definitely could have had schools open on time, on schedule, no concern, easily. And I say that with 99% certainty, easily, if we had taken the necessary steps. But the problem is that America does not like discomfort. America doesn't like to be uncomfortable for the sake of the better good, for the sake of 
other people for the sake of health, for the sake of well-being. They just want everything to feel good and they don't want to have to sacrifice anything. Everything could be prevented if we would just follow the science. I do not appreciate uh, the governor uh, you know, treating the management of the pandemic like a popularity contest. I don't need the general public to be surveyed to see how they feel about wearing masks. That information is not relevant. Everything Dr. Mills just said is 100% correct. Unfortunately, leadership at the state and federal have advocated their duties to govern effectively. And so now we're in a position in which lives, unnecessary lives have been lost. Uh, in Arizona, we recently had a situation where we lost a few teachers in Hayden Winkleman uh, got ill. And actually it was three teachers that got ill in the Hayden Winkleman school district. They were in the same room teaching virtually six feet apart, wearing masks, they did everything they could. They were following the rules. Yet, one of them still succumbed to this virus. She died. She didn't have to die. So, Dr. Mills is right. How many more teachers, how many more staff members are we gonna have to lose before we say it, it is not worth the risk? Um, and so, and that's what us board members, that's what physicians here that have been working with this have been saying. We've been beating the drum, sounding the alarm. Unfortunately, us sounding the alarm has fallen on deaf ears. Devin, I heard during your last response uh, the noises of small children in the background. Um, so obviously you have kids. And so what has it been like for them when they've had to wear masks for long periods of time? And what does that say about, you know, the safety of reopening schools in person? Yeah, so I have a nine-year-old and also have a one-and-a-half-year-old. She'll be two. Uh, in October. And to be fair, she actually loves her mask. The baby loves wearing her mask. Now, we don't let her wear it for long. It's just sort of a, a you know, she, we let her put her on for a minute or two and we take it right back off. But the nine-year-old, the nine-year-old, um, you know, we've had her wear a mask in certain situations when visiting family members, etc. And after about an hour, she says she can't take it anymore. It's uncomfortable. It's hot. Uh, she can't breathe in it. So I don't know if it's realistic to say that you're going to have second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth graders wear this thing for six, seven hours uh, throughout the day, throughout a normal school day. It's just, not, it's just not realistic. And it's also not realistic to say that we're going to have uh, uh, um, accurate social distancing within the classrooms. That's just, it's almost impossible. School, school districts don't have the space and nor the luxury to be able to adhere to some of these CDC guidelines, which is all the more reason why we're asking to delay in-person learning. Devin answered earlier about the the school that took some precautions when their teachers were teaching um, and they had six feet apart, they had masks on, they were trying to do this virtual learning, but they were still in the classroom and it still didn't work. Uh, the teacher still got sick. And so I would ask for you, Dr. Mills, are there any precautions that you think do work? I mean, is there a way to safely reopen schools if they say have masks on or is that even realistic? It comes back to testing, testing, testing. I strongly believe, and looking at the studies from other countries, other countries' school districts, that we need to test all staff, teachers, students, nurses, everybody, before they start school. If those three teachers were, had access to mass testing before they walked into a, a room with each other, they would have known that one of them had COVID, 
and they wouldn't have gone into the room with the other two in the first place. So we have to have a way of testing. Does Arizona and most other states have access to testing every single day like the president does? No. So we are asking our teachers to do things without the tools that they need to do it properly. And listening to Dr. Mills eloquently state her case based on facts and science is the same reason why myself and hundreds of my colleagues do not want to start in-person school. It's, it's just that cut and dry. Why take the unnecessary risk? And what I've been telling folks is this, we can always catch up on ABCs, but we can never bring someone back from the dead, period. So why take the risk? And if in March we shut down and sent everyone home when it wasn't as bad, how can we logically say it's okay now with it being worse? So look, um, it, it, it's unfortunate, but again, the abdication of leadership from our state governor and federal leaders and the pressure that is being put on other elected officials uh, has been tremendous. And they've really pigeonholed a lot of school districts into a tough corner. Uh, according to our governor's, uh, uh, our governor's executive order in Arizona, we're mandated to give a space, to provide a space where children can just go and hang out. We don't have to teach them. We don't have to educate. They just need a space to hang out. So now he shifted the, the, cha the, 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 the challenge or the issue of daycare on the schools. So now you're, you're turning our teachers into babysitters. So, um, you know, as opposed to addressing the issue and addressing the real needs of childcare. Um, and, and so again, as Dr. Mills said it earlier, the man punts. He constantly is punting. He punted on uh, issuing a mandatory mask uh, uh, executive order. He punted on reopening our schools. I'm looking out for the next NFL team to pick him up. He's so good at punting. So, I um, mean, that's where we're at in Arizona. Horrendous. And then we see that different responses at the state level, depending on where you go and what local levels. But what would you say are the main things that every level, federal, state, and local has to do right away? I just want to take a step back and say, this is the bed that we made as a nation. I mean, we have underfunded schools, we've undervalued education, we don't educate our students about history or reality for that matter, which makes an ignorant populace, which makes an, a populace that's able to be, you know, uh, swindled into not believing in facts at all, which then makes them not see the value in education, which makes them able to vote for, for uh, elected officials who also want to sabotage the education system, all while making the education system the babysitter of the country. And then we wonder why we're in this position. This system has set us up so that parents are depending on schools to babysit. And if it was to where we actually had proper resources for parents with childcare, uh, paid family leave, other community resources, we had more funding of behavioral health services and social services, the reason why parents are knocking on the door of the schools begging for them to take their kids is because they have to go to work. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm cynical, but. No, you're not. You're not cynical, Dr. Mills. And in fact, it's a harsh reality that a lot of us need to hear. And the truth is bad people are elected by good people who don't vote. Okay. Bad people are elected by good people who don't vote, right? Folks who don't care for it or who want to nitpick, as you mentioned, uh, who wears what? who's stuttering, et cetera. 
Um, and so we get what we deserve. But at the end of the day, right now, during this time of Code Red, we are the leaders we've been looking for. We are the leaders we've been looking for. Um, it is us that needs to take control um, of what's happening in our community. It is us that needs to educate our neighbors because no one else is going to do it. And so that's why we're here today. That's why we put together the press conference a few weeks ago. And that's why we teamed up health professionals and education leaders because we're saying enough is enough. We're not going to be guinea pigs. You're not going to play Russian roulette with us. No more lives lost. And so that's what we're doing everything we can to ensure that safety is priority. I think that's absolutely right. And I think that one real problem, and it's kind of the reason that we have these elected officials who are who they are, is because people care about their kids in every single place except the voting booth. And so that's kind of what we're trying to do with the Vote for Our Future campaign, is make sure that every single young person is talking to their parents, talking to their siblings, talking to their neighbors, to their teachers, to their coaches, to their doctors, about why their vote matters and why you need to vote if you are able to vote on behalf of young people because we can't do it ourselves. Jonah, I'll just, and I'll, and I'll just say this. Um, we've seen an influx of new education champions. All of a sudden, people now realize how important school is and the emotional and social impact schools have on our kids. So I welcome all this new energy because we pre-pandemic, People were silent when a lot of folks like myself and, and, and Dr. Mills have, were beating the drum saying, please, our schools need resources. We need resources to serve our kids to ensure we're doing it equitably. And so now, all of a sudden, we have all these new voices, all this fresh energy uh, singing the praises of public schools. So let's see that put into action. As Jonah said, let's see you come out to the pools. We welcome you. We welcome all these new education supporters. You know, there's a tweet that Robert Reich has put out uh, today that says the school attended by Trump's son Barron will not reopen in September to protect students from COVID-19. Meanwhile, Trump is pushing for schools to reopen despite the concerns of public health experts. All children should be protected from the virus, not only rich kids. You know, it's the same thing from uh, Senator Rick Scott of Florida. He was asked about his grandchildren who are school age. And he said, oh, you know, I definitely think schools should reopen. I think schools should reopen. And they said, well, what about your grandkids? Are they going to be attending school this fall? He said, oh, um, my, my kids are going to be doing uh, some distance learning this fall. So the hypocrisy, you know, Rick Scott, he, he, he knows the risk. He wants his kids, his grandkids to be protected. He wants the economy to go back to how it was, but he wants everyone else's kids to be the sacrifice. So that's the problem. We all know the truth. The people that are pushing for schools to reopen know the truth. I don't feel that they're just simply completely ignorant of the science. I just think they don't care. And they know that their families will be protected. Their kids will be inside, socially distanced, with the best mask when they go out. And everyone else's kids will be thrown into the public school systems mostly that they're forcing and trying to, to force open with a crowbar. And Natalie, to your point, you know, this is where equity comes in, okay? When you have leaders who treat decision-making, either overtly acting like they're ignorant about the disparities or purposefully trying to cater and sabotage things, what I mean is that we have seen that social economic status and race play a role in not only um, who is affected by policies, 
the voice that people have when it comes to how those policies affect them. When we have people who, for instance, you know, the senator who was able to say, well, I want, you know, my, I want my kids to stay home and be safe, but other people's kids can go back to school. It shows that they do not have a respect for the sanctity of life of all kids, that they do not see the health and safety and well-being of other people's kids in the same level as they see their kids. And we know that most of the vulnerable populations that are going to be affected by the upper class going out and having elaborate vacations without socially distancing, the people who are going to pay for it are the kids in the lower socioeconomic classes. Once again, it's that spiral and that thing of everybody's life affecting everybody else. So when we see that hypocrisy, we see that you know, even something like testing, as I said, Trump gets tested on a regular basis, yet he refuses to, to acknowledge the benefit of everybody being able to have access to testing. So it, I, I agree with you that it is a conscious thing. It's not just about being ignorant about something. It's about not caring about certain populations as much as they should. And that's why we, we need to speak out and we need to speak up because it's important to advocate for those who are really going to be more dr drastically affected by the policies that are made. Yep. And Dr. Mills, I'm going to piggyback on what you said. We got to speak up and speak out. One way to do that is by voting, right? We know that change comes through the ballot box. The vote for a future campaign is not just simply a hashtag. It's literally a movement that is going to shape our country and has a potential to really take us in a new direction. This is probably the most important election in modern history. Seriously. I mean, this is like... This is really going to, I think, in my opinion, make or break us. It's going to make or break us. And so I'm hoping that uh, people will step up. I'm hoping that people will not give in and give up. As uh, the late, great Congressman John Lewis used to say, let's get into some good trouble. Let's take this to the ballot box. Let's honor our ancestors. We stand on their sacrifices. Let's not let them down. Let's honor their voice. Let's go to the polls. Let's head out and vote to create the nation that it is on paper. I completely agree with you, Devin. I think that's really well put. So coming up, we have a vote for our future event with Devin and with Dr. Mills, aimed at making sure that everyone is aware of just how intersectional education and healthcare is, especially during a pandemic and during a debate about reopening schools and putting children and teachers and parents and school employees in harm's way. And so please, if you want to check that out, Go to VoteForOurFuture.org. If you go to VoteForOurFuture.org slash events, you can find more information there. And again, if you want to register to vote or vote by mail, learn anything at all about any elections happening near you, go to VoteForOurFuture.org slash vote. I want to say thank you so much to Devin Del Palacio, as well as Dr. Dion Mills for being here with us today. You have given us so much information, so much great content to learn from um, about, you know, why it's dangerous to reopen schools and what we really need to do if we want to get to a place as a country where opening schools can be safe. I just want to ask each of you, uh, for Devin, you know, any final thoughts, anything that last thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience? We're in cold red. And... You cannot, you cannot sit on the sidelines. Please speak up, please be active, advocate for your children. Sometimes our children's voices aren't as loud as ours. Please, please don't give up on them. Don't give up on our teachers, our staff. They are truly shaping the minds of our future and right now they need us. They need us to have their backs. 
So please join us in standing up. Please get out there and vote. Be a part of Vote for Our Future. Take action. Don't be idle. Don't sit on the sidelines. We need you. So Dr. Mills, do you have any final thoughts or any, any lasting words you'd like to leave with our audience? I repeat the phrase I've been saying all the time, which is follow the science. It's really simple. Sometimes the most simplest things we could do are not necessarily the easiest things, but they are still the simplest things we can do. We're making things too complicated. It doesn't have to be that complicated. I do echo what everyone is saying, and I just want to say that it's important for us to advocate for children, and that includes advocating for adults, because children are traumatized when they see the adults in their lives sick and unhealthy and and dead. So we need to just prioritize. It's not about comfort. It's about safety. And the two don't always go together. Wow. Well, thank you all so much for being here today. Uh, we really appreciate your insights. And, you know, we couldn't, couldn't agree more. Uh, listen to the science and also advocate and take action. And of course, thank you both so much for your work, Dr. Mills, for your advocacy and obviously your work directly with uh, people with the coronavirus and other illnesses and with uh, Devin, of course, your constant advocacy on behalf of young people, on behalf of families, on behalf of America's children, on behalf of students. The Truly, the two of you are making this country a better place. And at this time right now, we need it. Thank you so much for having us. It's been an honor to meet with you, talk with you, and collaborate with you. Thank you for having me. Again, it was an honor to be back. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Jonah, for giving us a platform to share and discuss these important issues. That's a wrap on this episode of Our Future Now. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to visit voteforourfuture.org for more information on our virtual events and how to make a difference in your community. Our Future Now is produced by Goal 17 Media, storytellers for the common good. We would like to give a special thanks to our media partners, Parentology. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite streaming platform and share this episode with your family and friends on social media. I'm Natalie Mebane. And I'm Jonah Gottlieb. And this is Our Future Now.